I was in my office, and you know, we have, we have three services on Sunday, so I had a break in between the service, and uh, um, and I was kind of going through. Oh man, I, I'm I'm teaching. Well, first they asked if I can do a seminar. I said sure, and then they said actually, can you preach and then do a seminar? I said sure, and then uh, I was like, you know what? I'm doing a marriage seminar. It'd be kind of nice to have my wife there as well, just so you guys don't know. Just you don't know I'm lying or something, right? Which is really important. And so, and then sure enough, man, you know, I said, hey, do you want to go? And she's like, and I thought for sure she's going to say, no, I'm too busy. We got kids. Kids have school, you know, all that stuff. And then she goes, actually, yeah, I'd like to go. And then, uh, like, we asked the kids because they were all in my office. And, hey, is it okay if I go? And they're like, yeah, sure, go. It's because they can basically play on their devices the whole weekend now without us yelling at them to get off, right? So it's like a win-win for them. Yeah, and then, you know, I looked up tickets, and <laughs> we're able to use our miles, and so it worked, out, it worked out really great. And so we're really looking forward to actually, after this session, uh, to actually just take the couples together and kind of walk alongside. And, and, I, and I'll, I'll, preface, I'll preface everything by saying but that we are, we are by no means a perfect married couple, right? My wife got a lot of issues, man, you know? And so... <laughs> Just, just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, um, but, I mean, but we've, we've learned a lot along the way, and we fought a lot along the way, and all these things. And so I, ho- I hope that you can actually learn from our mistakes uh, more than anything else, since that's what we're going to. Um, but before that, I just want to give kind of like a theology of marriage. You know, I think anything that we do, anything we think about, we should always go back to the Scriptures. And, and the Bible should be the ones that speak into our life Instead of movies and entertainment and soap operas and all those things, we have to be word-based. And so it's really important. But before I get there, we have a lot of special friends that are with us today. And uh, we have, a, a, um, actually, my friend Jin is here. Jin, can you stand up real quick? Jin, uh, he's the uh, East Asia Director for FCA, which is a Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so we've been doing some work together. Um, and uh, I spoke at their conference last was it November? Was it November? December. Yeah, December in Singapore. I had, a, I had a wonderful time. And so he's here. And so, you know, we're hanging out. And then we have a bunch of old, old SPers that are here. And so we have some people from SP Singapore, uh, some people at SP Hong Kong. Can you guys stand up real quick and just say hi to these guys here? They're the ones with all the kids. Right? So, so they're, all, they're all here. And uh, uh, so I'm you know, so thankful. They, they follow me around. I feel so blessed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, so, you know, we're, we're family, right? And so it's great. Now, I, I, well, let's read the Bible first, okay? So let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. Oh, thanks, David. <coughs> Genesis chapter 2, we're going to read from verse 18. So if you have your Bible with you, Genesis chapter 2, 18. I'm going to read from the New American Standard. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, brought them to the man uh, to see what he would call them, and whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, then he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at that place, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they should become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God. Lord, we thank you so much for this time, God. What a privilege to gather together as a body, the ecclesia, Lord, to be the called out assembly. Lord, and we are gathered here today, God, uh, to, Lord, see you, to see one another, to sing songs of praise to you, God, to give, Lord, as an act of our worship, and then to, to hear your word, God. And so, Lord, we pray, God, that you would just bless us with it, Lord. God, to that end, we ask you right now to release the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit in this room. Lord, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive what the Spirit is saying to each one of us individually and corporately about it. Lord, I humble myself today. I ask that you use me to preach your prophetic word with power and authority. Help me, Lord, not just convey your words, God, but convey your heart. God, we thank you, Lord. We love you in this house, God. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Now, I know most of you guys are singles, okay? How many single people are here? Oh, actually, a lot less than I thought. So most of you guys are married. Or are you like one of those, like, you know, like defining the relationship, you don't know where you're at? Um, <laughs> I know college students, young adults. Um, and so you think, you know, why do I need to listen to a, a message on marriage? And, uh, and let's, you know, to be honest, when I was a youth, youth pastor, when I was a high school youth pastor, I was teaching my kids on marriage. Because I wanted to put something in their spirit. Because this world is so jacked up. It is so messed up. The values of this world, the things that we get our information from, the places that we get our influence from is so contradictory to what God says provides a healthy marriage or a healthy life and all these things. And so I, I, mean, I literally want to put something in your spirit regarding this. Um, but, but it's important. And, and honestly, I say this. I, I hope that every single one of you gets married. I really do. I feel like for me as a pastor, that's one of my jobs. I, I, I am the matchmaker at our church. And so, and I'm used to being a cult leader. I mean, okay, I'll, I'll say this. Sometimes I've been, at, sometimes I've been accused of being a cult leader, um, not because of my theology, primarily because I make people fast. I, one, I don't know if I shared this before, but you know what my dreams are? This is like, now I'm going to really sound like a cult leader. One of my dreams is that People respect me so much, right, that they'll say, P-Sam, who shall I marry? And I'll just say, that one right there. And then they do it and live happily ever after, right? Now, okay, I'll never do that, by the way, okay? I'm honestly, I'll never do that. But there's something about, because I think you could marry anybody. Because marriage, really, it's about two people becoming one. Every, I'll tell you, the, the source of every fight Every disagreement, every argument I've ever had with my wife, it's the same issue. It comes down to the same thing. I want what I want, and she wants what she wants. In other words, we, we were self-centered, and God wanted us to be other-centered and God-centered. And, and really, that is a source of every fight we've ever gone into. I want my way, and she wants her way, which is so different than the ethic of Jesus Christ. Remember, he's sitting in the garden, and he says, Lord, I don't want to do this. Like, Lord, I, I, I don't want your way. I want my way. But he says, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but let your will be done. And when you can get that, that's what we call one flesh. 
And when you can get that, it's amazing. And so our, if you think about it, our whole of our spiritual life is moving from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. And of course, God is going to use other people to bring you to these moments of truth and reality. And so, so, we, so a lot of times at our church, we talk about a discipleship of life. Like you're not discipled by taking a discipleship class. You're discipled by life. You know, you're born, you're raised in a family, and in your family, you have to listen to your parents. You need to submit to your parents. And then you go to school, you need to submit to your teachers. And, and then you start working, you need to submit to, to your bosses. I mean, you get paid. That's kind of good. It happens that way. But every, the, every part of our journey, every part of our learning, every part of our maturity and our growth comes down to, okay, I'm going to submit to my own way, and I'm going to choose another way. I'm going to choose to follow this person's way, or my boss's way, or my parents' way, or my professor's way. That's life. And, and if, you're, if you cannot do that, you cannot succeed in life. You will not have healthy relationships. You'll not, you'll not advance in your, in your jobs, right? Because you, you will not be the kind of employee that companies are looking for. And so we see that inlaid through life, God brings a discipleship process to bear. And the best discipleship process of all is marriage. It's marriage. Listen, I mean, I'm going I'm to preach for a long time. I'm just going to tell you right now, right? I'm going to preach for a long time, but I can sum it up right now. I mean, we could probably just close and say amen. We're not going to. You want to have a healthy marriage? You better die right now. I thought there were a lot more married couples in this room. Uh, <laughs> I would have thought, I would have got like, unless you're afraid of your spouse, right? so you don't want to say amen too loud, but it's, it's, it's really death. And the, the reality is that we are living in a, an age and a time where it's so confusing. And <coughs> there, there, uh, this, <coughs> sorry, I, I get this cough going on. You know, our, the misguided views of marriage that are so prevalent in our society is having a tremendous impact in our churches. Because you, you have, because of these misguided views, uh, you have a lot of people that are, that are angry with God, that are bitter because they're not married. And then because of these misguided views, you have people that do get married and they have such unrealistic expectations that they end up having horrible marriages as a result. And so what I want to do is I just want to just kind of get down to the nitty-gritty and you always want to find out what was the intended purpose of the maker. You know, like, like your phone that, that, that you have. You need to figure out what was the intended purpose of the maker of my sig into the pixels now. So, and you use it accordingly. Like I, I, I just, my wife and I, we're, we're big into the pixels now. So Google Pixel. So I got the two. Uh, my wife has the three. And so, but the intended the intended. Makers of that phone made sure that we knew it was not a Frisbee, right? It's not a flotation device. You know, it's not something that you go into the sea and you play catch with. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, the purpose of the phone is, is, is what they had intended. And so we got to find out, well, what did God intend for marriage? And this is, and this is so important. You know, I, I've been a pastor for 20-some years now. I tell you, the greatest difficulty that I have in pastoral ministry are actually couples that are having difficulty in their marriages. Nothing is more heartbreaking as a pastor. Uh, this is honest truth. For me personally, nothing is more heartbreaking as a pastor when I see two of my sheep, and, and I'm like, I'm, I married them. 
You know what I mean? I mean, they, they went through premarital counseling with my wife and I. And so, uh, I mean, we, you know, we're, we're close. Uh, and, and, and just to see them struggle in their marriage, you know, you know, and they have kids, it is so heartbreaking. And it, it's, it's, it's probably, I mean, if I'm going to be honest, it's the bane of my existence. Uh, I, I, I just, I, I don't like it. Um, it's so, it hurts me. I know it hurts them, um, but it's something that I have to do. It, it's just, it's part and parcel of the job, but it, it, is, it is so difficult. And so this, this is what I always tell people, man, it's better to wish you were married than wish you were single. Just think about that for a moment, okay? Listen, honestly, I know some of you guys are really in a hurry to get married. It's better to wish you were married than wish you were single, because the other side around, it's, uh, it's painful. And so let's, let's, let's go into this thing uh, with our eyes wide open uh, and tremendous blessing. So I'll, this, I'll, I'll start this way. So years ago, um, my wife and I um, and another couple at church, one of, one of our board members, um, we, we decided that, man, we really needed to help married couples at our church. And so what we typically do is we start a ministry. And so um, we, we wanted to start a marriage ministry uh, for our church. And so we're looking at all different things and, you know, uh, how does this work? How's that? You know, reading tons of books and everything. And so we, we, got, we found this uh, ministry called Love After Marriage. Anyone ever heard of LAM, Love After Marriage? It actually comes out of uh, Bethel Church in Reading. And so it's this couple. He's an he's a, 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 a MFT clinical uh, a doctor, a MFT, marriage family therapist. And his wife is also a counselor, but she's like prophetic. And so they come together, and he's been doing uh, uh, counseling for years, marriage, uh, family counseling. And so and they basically uh, came upon this, this kind of program they put together. And so my wife and I went. We literally, like, found this program, and then we found out that there's a, a workshop happening, like, in three weeks, and then we were on the plane. And so my wife and I and this other couple, we flew to uh, Northern California. Uh, we got there, and it's five. It's full on, man. It's like 9 in the morning to 9 o'clock at night. Even your meal times, five, five full days. It is a crazy program. But, but, but because we wanted to run it at our church, you had to go through it. And so what you do is you sit in cohorts. And so we sat in a table with, with three other couples. So four couples per table, eight people per table. And so we're sitting there, and we're making introductions. And so I'm, I'm doing the introduction. I'm, I'm saying, you know, my name is Sam. I'm a pastor. And I just wanted everyone to know that I'm not here because we have married, marriage problems. I'm here. I'm, I'm totally honest. I'm here because we want to learn how to do this so we can take it back to our church in Hong Kong. I must have said that about 10 times. I just wanted everyone to know that my wife and I were good, and I was basically in my introduction telling them what a great husband that I am. And, you know, because it, 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 it was true, man. You know, like, because a month later, I was going to take my wife on our, I, I take her on a trip every anniversary because it's in March. I was going to take her to Italy and Switzerland. Right, in France, you know, what a, I know, what a husband, right? That's, that's what I'm saying. So I was like, you know, I mean, I was, I was kind of talking myself up, and it's like, yeah, we don't need this. I just want you, you know, because we're, we're doing this in Hong Kong, so I'm here to learn, and I'm here to grow. And so, you know, I, I finished my whole spiel. So I said this, and I thought, oh, people would be really impressed with me. And then <coughs> my wife, it's her turn, and she goes, this is literally what happened. My name is Lisa. <laughs> and she's flat out started crying, right? I'm like, dude, you're ruining my mojo right now. <laughs> this is like, this is messed up. What are you doing? You know, so 
can you come up, Lisa? I want my, my wife to explain. <laughs> explain why she was crying. And I was shocked. I was so shocked. Hi, uh, I'm Lisa. Thank you for having us uh, this weekend. Um, yeah, I did actually start crying, which was quite surprising to me. I did not wail like that, but it was a quiet <laughs> realization that, oh, there was actually something deeper than just coming out. Initially, it was for understanding what was happening in that ministry. But I realized us being there was just not a, you know, a test run through the whole um, program or workshop. But uh, just in that moment, I think I realized, oh, you know what? I think we need this just as well. And um, just the reason why I ended up tearing was because I realized, thinking through, because other people had shared their stories. And um, the other couples actually, with varying degrees, some of them had some really, really hard, you know, stories to hear. And that was just the the tip of the iceberg. You know, we would share more with each other throughout the, the week. But I think it's because I realized that we had gone through different seasons in being married, and we were just in a place where we were, we were better. You know, it wasn't like a, we're like soaring, but we were in a good place compared to the initial like, you know, rough start that typically most couples have. But then I realized that even though we were in a good place, that just there was something, you know, deeper in terms of connecting with each other that I didn't realize that we really had. And so I think uh, in just in that moment of just thinking through, you know, why we were really there, I think it really was God kind of helping me to see that actually, you know, it was something to look and explore. So, um, yeah, that was really why. But I think it really was a God thing because I really don't cry that easily. But <laughs> so it was, again, something for me to see. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, babe. <laughs> yeah. So the jig was up, right? Everyone knew I was a phony. And then, but it was great because then I, I was able to humble myself and say, okay, what can I learn for myself? See, there's a difference between learning for others and learning for a sermon. You can have a, and so, I mean, every pastor knows what, exactly what I'm talking about. You can prepare a sermon. You can have a relationship with God for other people. To make a sermon is very different when it's for yourself. And so I came to that place, and I realized, okay, I think maybe we can learn something during this time. And honestly, I, th- I thought at that time we had a very, very healthy marriage. Uh, it wasn't healthy in the beginning, but we worked through a lot of stuff going through, going forward. And, and we, we had an incredible time, man. It was, it was long, long days. And, I mean, it was – and, and I, I would say that if you ever get a chance to do a lamb, you know, love after marriage, I, I would do it. I mean – the time and, and the resources, because our married life is one of the most important things. And uh, it was really a, a wonderful time of connecting, of, of reflecting, and loving each other. And it's, it's crazy. And, and it's five days, right? So you get, you're doing all these things. The last two days was primarily on sex. And it was some of the best teachings on sex ever. And it was the female that was teaching it. You know, and stuff. And I thought that was so liberating. <laughs> I was like, you got to listen to that woman. You know, she's telling my wife, she's speaking truth right now. You got to like, and it was, it was so good. You know, I didn't realize how important, I mean, like every man knows how important sex is in a relationship, married relationship, okay? <laughs> but to have a woman share 
I mean, it was, it was actually quite liberating, and it, it, really, it really helped us a lot through this. So, so marriage, just listen, marriage is not just a secular act. It's not just a social arrangement. Rather, God brings about marriage for his purposes. It, it's, it's really for his glory. Now, I, I, want, I just want to say something just to get this over with from the beginning. We do not get married to be happy. If you're getting married to be happy, prepare to be miserable. It's true. Because that's not the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is not to be happy. The purpose of marriage is the glory of God. And our marriage reflects the glory of God. Our, the marriage is actually a reflection of God's Godship, the Trinity. All, all these things were together. It's revealed in the mystery of God's own life. It's in God's relationship to creation, and it's in Christ's relationship to the church. And so, like, my wife and I, when we lead our premarital counseling class, the first day, we always ask this question to one another. We, we, well, first of all, we, we, we ask them, did the Lord speak to you? Like, did the Lord speak to you about this person that you're about to marry? And, and we're very intentional about that, because if the Lord didn't speak to you, you probably shouldn't get married. Right? Don't make an emotional decision. You know what I mean? Don't make a social decision. Make a I heard from God decision. That's the only way it works. And so and the other thing we ask is, is this the only person with whom you could be happy with? And if they say yes, then we like, we got a lot of work to do right now. We got a lot of work to do. Because your happiness, true happiness, cannot come from somebody else. True happiness only comes from the Father. Now, God brings joy through other people, but true, deep inside, it only comes from God. And it would be a travesty to expect that from your spouse, that which only God can give to us. And so you basically set yourself up for failure in that way. To expect your husband or your wife to fill all those gaps and needs inside of you? No way. You know, we say this, two halves don't make a whole. Two halves make one horrible marriage. And so, and so that's what we're talking about here. And so only, only God can give us this happiness. And so we have to understand what his created purpose is. So what I'm going to do now, I'm just going to go through the three, what we call the meta-narratives of the scriptures. And so the, the, these, these, these are the, the storylines, the plot that runs through every part of the Bible. And it usually comes in... in in, in three acts. And so it's very simple. It's creation, it's fall, and redemption. And so, so I want to I talk about marriage under those meta-narratives. So I want to tell you what God's intended purpose was in creation, what happened because of the fall, and then how God redeems it uh, in, in this day and age. Okay? So just so we know where we're going. So creation. In Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. Now think about how incredible that statement is in the Bible. Particularly here in the early part of Genesis. Every time God made something, what did he say? He finished every day by saying what? It is good. Then he made man. And then what did he say? It is very good. And then this is the first time God said, oh, this is not good. That's pretty startling, isn't it? Every day God said, he did this, this is good, this is good. Oh, man, oh, this is very good. And then God took a pause in his, to, to, 
to overlook his creation. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. This is not good. Can you imagine? I mean, think about what, what that means, the ramifications of that. Adam is living in a perfect world. Animals are perfect. The weather is perfect. The fruits, I mean, everything, everything is perfect. Everything is good. God looks at Adam and said, that's not good. You should not be alone. That's powerful. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that God has put something in your heart, something in your soul. God can touch it, and sometimes he does touch it, but he reserves that space for that someone special. You guys, that's, that's what marriage is. He, he, he sets aside. He, he can very easily touch that space, but he refuses to because he says it's not good for you to be alone. So I'll prepare a helper that's suitable for you. See, without man and women in this close relationship, creation and God's purposes were incomplete. Do you know how important marriage is? I mean, just think what I just said. Without men and women, man and women particularly, in a close relationship, creation and God's purposes were incomplete. In all of creation, everything was good. It is not good for you to be alone. And you know what? I thank the Lord every day that God had pity on me and said, Sam, it's not good for you to be alone. I'll make someone suitable for you. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing how that works. It becomes incomplete. Now, let me, let me quote, uh, uh, you guys know, N.T. Wright, a great Anglican theologian. N.T. Wright says this. This, this is what God does, and, 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 and I'll explain why I'm saying this. <laughs> In the creation narrative, God places opposites next to each other to complement one another. Actually, opposing forces, God puts together. It's, it's this complementary uh, nature. Think about this. God creates heavens and the earth. Opposites, but they complement one another. Then he makes light and darkness. And then he creates day and night, land and sea, sun and moon. And then the pinnacle of creation, God creates man and a woman. This is why marriage, I don't care what they tell you in society, okay? Marriage is only between a man, and a woman. This is not just some little letters that Paul writes. This is actually the narrative of the whole Bible, all going back to the story in Genesis. God creates opposing forces, opposites, and he brings them together to make one unit. That's why, you know, like a lot, I've actually, sadly, no, I've had to teach on this topic at our church, uh, you know, on homosexuality and same-sex union. At our church, I just tell people, this is, we do not call this same-sex marriage. Marriage is only between a man and a woman. What they're having is same-sex union. I have no problem with same-sex union. I mean, you know, they're sinners. You can do whatever you want. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not here to police you. That's not my job. That's not my job as a pastor. You're a fallen creature. You're a sinner. You want to marry some guy. You're a guy. I'm going to marry a guy. Knock yourself out. You make contract with the state. That's fine. The state has their own rules. But you shall dare not call that marriage because that's covenant relationship. Only God makes covenant relationship. You guys understand what I'm saying? And so this was God's intended purpose of marriage. 
And so we've we got to make sure that we very much understand that. And, and I, I, mean, I, I understand the arguments, especially in the LGBT community, because if you can, if you can change language, I mean, if you, if you can actually take definitions and change definitions, and, and, and you, you basically won the culture war. You, you know, actually, this, they did this in Nazi Germany. They did this all through, uh, throughout Russia. And so in Nazi Germany, actually, if you, if you look at a, a, um, a book or if you look in their dictionary, they'll actually have a, a, a phrase there and they'll say NS, the National Socialist Party. And so basically what they took is they took definitions and they changed the words altogether. And so they changed the definition because if you change the definition, next thing you know, you can treat people like they're less than humans. That's basically what they did. They did this all throughout Russia. And so it's really a culture war to define terms. Marriage, biblically, is between a man and a woman. Okay? I mean, I don't, you know, we, we can make all kinds of social arguments. You know, I mean, we, we can do that. But that's God's intended purpose. And we need to start there in that way. And that's basically what God does. God takes opposites but complementary things, and they speak of God's created order. That's God's original intent. All right, again, that's why marriage is only between a man and a woman. Everything else is a contract. And again, I have no issue with contract, right? The state can do whatever the state wants to do. If Hong Kong says, you know, you can do this, all right, go ahead and do it. But in our church, right, as it pertains to my role, that's, that's, that's just not going to happen because it's just not biblical, no matter, no matter what people make all these arguments about. And, and I, I can go on and on, but that's not my, the purpose of, of this. But I feel like I should say that, especially in a culture that, that our church is so inundated with these ridiculous ideas. And again, if you, if you want more, uh, I mean, we could talk after service or something. And so he creates, he says, someone suitable, it's a helper. The, interestingly enough, most people look at even marital or like, uh, roles between men and women, you know, they would think that the woman is like subservient. You know, that's totally not true. It's actually not anywhere in the narrative of the Bible either. When you look really carefully through this, the word help, he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. The word help is the word azar in Hebrew. You know, this word is used in Genesis. It's only used in Hebrew poetry. And every time this word is used, it's always God. He's the helper, helping man. So it's like the higher being helping the lesser being. And so, you know, I mean... Hey, that's not my opinion. It's actually the scriptures. You just, all you got to do is read the Bible. It's amazing how people don't read the Bible. And so, you know, I, I think I said this at, at, at a place. Think, and think about, think about the, the, the creation. God makes man out of the dust of the ground, right? And so if you're a guy, anyone's ever called you a dirtbag? Theologically correct, right? Absolutely, because we are basically bags of dirt. So God takes man out of the dust of the ground. He breathes in him, the ruach, breathes in him. He becomes a human living being. And then he puts him to sleep, and then he takes out of his rib. So, I mean, think about this created order. So God takes nothing, turns into something. He perfects creation. And then he makes women. He perfects what was already perfected. And so, and so like, if you think about it, women, you are Double perfected. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Do you know that's why Satan hates you? Did you know that? That's why he, he, he rules the world's uh, um, kind of political systems and societies and systems to bring you down. Because God knows the truth. 
The angels know the truth. The devil knows the truth. So the devil, since the creation of time, has been trying to push down femalehood, womanhood, to the ground. And it's crazy. And then women have risen up, but in a wrong, okay, I can't say wrong, right? In a misguided way. And so it's not about women's power. That's that's just the pendulum swinging the other way. It's about finding this radical middle that comes together in God's created order. You guys see how, how this whole thing works? And, and so honestly, that's why women through all throughout history, you guys have been subjected and tossed because you're dangerous. Absolutely dangerous. I actually, I actually have this theory. Can, can I share it with you? I have, I have a lot of crazy theories. I have this theory. I think, I think Islam, Islam can be overrun overnight. You know when it's going to happen? When the women wake up. Women say, I ain't wearing that. I ain't putting that on me. I do not have to hide my body. You know, I will not be subject to this. And I, I, think, that, I think that day is going to come. And when the women rise up, it's, that's going to be the end. Uh, it's a theory, okay? So it's just an idea, just a thought. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, 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 it's something that's there. <coughs> and so th- this, is, this is a kind of relationship. It was open and intimate. Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Isn't that great? This is the original intent, openness and intimacy. Now, if people are naked and not ashamed, they're weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some guy's outside, hey, look at me, you know. It's like, okay, there's something seriously going wrong here. But the original intent, that's what marriage was. It was open, naked. In other words, you see me, I see you, and unashamed. That's what, you know, when, when my wife and I got married, that was, that was one of the greatest revelations that I ever got. And I, I felt like I had such a, a bigger vi- uh, view of the heart of God. Because, like, my wife, like, like so when we teach our premarital, we believe in full disclosure. And so we talk about everything. Like, this is, this is who I am, this is what I did, you know, all this stuff. And I shared everything, like every bad thing I ever did, you know, my, my whole life. I shared with my wife, and, and I, I was nervous because I thought she could just say, I'm, I'm out of here, man. You're, you're, you know, like, you're weird. I don't, I'm not marrying you. But, you know, the crazy thing was my wife gave me grace. And she basically said, I know everything about you, but I love you anyway. Isn't that basically the gospel? Didn't God say on a whole nother level, I know everything about you. I know what you're going to do tomorrow. Today, you're going to lift your hands and worship me. Tomorrow, you're going to curse me out. But I love you anyway. See, marriage is the mirror of God's relationship with us. What husband and wife are able to do with each other, open, intimate, naked, and unashamed, that's mirroring our relationship with the Father. It's exactly how this works. This was creation, openness and intimacy. It was beautiful. When I had that experience with Lisa, man, it was so freeing. Now someone in my life knows everything about me. That's why when you're dating someone and stuff and you hold things back, they can never truly love you. It's a facade. Because to truly love someone, you have to know them. You know what I mean? I mean, there's got to be full disclosure. Because then they get to choose, well, I love you anyway, or no, I'm not going to, you know, forget it, this is over. But people are afraid of that because we're so unused to being intimate with other people. It just scares us. Man, if everyone knows everything about me, oh, well, that's the beauty of the gospel. 
That's why, it's, it's, that's why the marriage is so beautiful because it's a picture of our relationship with God, but it's an opportunity to receive grace from another human being. And I'm, I'm so thankful to my wife uh, in that way. And this same openness and intimacy, it was mirrored in their relationship with God in the garden. God is just, I mean, this is so cool. They're walking with God in the garden. In the cool of the night, in the warmth of the day, and they're talking. Openness and intimacy. That's what happens here. And so in 224, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. They should be joined to his wife, and they should become one flesh. Paul says this is a mystery. It's the triple uh, meaning image of leaving Cleaving and becoming become the major biblical definition of marriage. In fact, the word cleave is one of the most fascinating words you'll ever find. The word cleave means two totally opposite things at the same time. Like cleave means to come together. Cleave also means to separate. That's a meat cleaver. Like how can a word... There's the, I've actually not found any word in the English language that's like that. That actually means the opposite thing at the same exact time. It's crazy. That's how deep marriage is. Because marriage, and that's why Paul says it's a mystery. It's the mysterion. Because we leave and cleave, you know, you, you, and you form your own family unit in this place. That's what it speaks of. It's, it's, a, it's a, a couple forming a unit separated from all other units. Uh, it involves a process of becoming one flesh. This is so important. When, when you recognize you are one, that, that gives you everything you need to, to have, to have actually a healthy marriage. If, if, if I hurt my wife, I hurt myself. That's what Paul says. He says, no man hates himself. You know what I mean? It, 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 I mean, you're, you're, you're good to your, your wife. You're good to yourself. That's, that's the idea of oneness. That, that's, that's, that's the whole idea of this marriage. And it's so important. And so, like I said, in Ephesians 5.32, Paul calls this one flesh teaching a mystery. What it is, it's a spiritual transaction that takes place when a man and a woman come together in covenant relationship. It's important. Listen, this is why you cannot marry a non-Christian. A non-believer. I mean, this, this goes without saying. You cannot do this because you cannot make covenant with someone who's not made covenant with God. It doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? I mean, forget about spiritual. People always say, "Yeah, we're not spiritually compatible." It's like, dude, you you don't know the half of it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not about spiritual compatibility. It's like, oh yeah, I won't be able to really pray with my husband. You know, we won't be able to talk about spiritual things. Well, pagans can talk about spiritual things. But you don't understand the spiritual ramifications. You cannot make covenant with someone who doesn't, has not made covenant with God. But that's what marriage is. It's not a contract with the state. It's covenant before the Lord. And so it's important. I mean, you know, people can have a contract with the state. I, I, like I said, I have no issue with that whatsoever. But it's so important. This central truth is inherent in Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce. In Matthew 19, also Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 11. It's so important how we get this. So that's creation. God created marriage for His purpose. We would bring, bring intimacy, naked and unashamed. That was His purpose. We would bring, bring the best out of one another. And we would mirror our relationship that we have 
with the Father. And, 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 and it, it'll be seamless. But then we know what happened. The fall happened. Oh, the fall. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. What happened? Something spiritual take, took place there. Because they, 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 were, they were still naked, and next thing they realized, oh my goodness, we're naked. <gasps> I never saw that before. <gasps> I never saw that before. We're naked. And then look what happens. It's always man's attempt to cover their own sin. So they make clothes for themselves. Whatever we do is actually absolutely insufficient. And so we see with all other things, the fall is seeing as altering and defacing God's purpose of marriage. Obviously, the immediate result was the breakdown of intimacy and trust between the husband and the wife. Check it out. Now, trust and intimacy was now replaced with blame and shame. (gasps) Naked, and they were full of shame now. And then, what happened? God said, why would you do this? What did the man, the man, Adam, he was so manly. He said, it's on me. It's on me, Dad. I messed up. No, he didn't say that. Hey, you know that lady you gave me? I mean, think about, think, look at the language. Basically, that woman that you gave me, in other words, he was saying, it's actually your fault, God. Like, you jacked up, man. You should have found me a different woman. I mean, isn't that what we do every time we make a mistake? God, I thought you told me to do this. We, we very easily, the first thing we do is blame God. And then we blame one another. That's exactly what these guys did. They said, the woman you gave me, oh, it's her fault. She did it all. And then the woman, you think the woman said, yeah, it's on me. My bad. You know, I'm sorry. No, she goes, actually, the, the devil, he made me do it. And then all of a sudden, trust and intimacy is now replaced with blame and shame. It's crazy. But then, you know what we get introduced to? This, this, is, this is a type of Christ. This is something that we're going to, a foreshadowing of what's to come. And then now we're first introduced to the concept of blood atonement. What does God do? What, man, what Adam and Eve, to cover their shame, is insufficient. Anything you do to cover your sin, to cover your shame, will be insufficient. Absolutely insufficient. And so what does he do? He kills an animal. He takes their skin, and he covers them. It's a type of Christ. It's now we're introduced to blood atonement. And it's actually a foreshadowing of what's to come in Jesus Christ. A, a precursor of Jesus who would shed his blood and cover us of our sins. And then the curse happens. In other words, I, I mean, I mean we, you know, in church, we don't want to use the word curse, right? So the ramifications of our actions now come to us. And he says in 3.16, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you shall bring forth children Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Oh, man, messed up. Absolutely messed up. Two different things. The word desire in Hebrew is a little different than you think. It's not like, you know, your desire for your husband means, oh, oh, my husband, my husband. Actually, the word is teshuka, and basically what it, what it means, I mean, don't, okay, ladies, don't, don't get discouraged right now, right? 
But it's basically the, the connotation is, a, is the craving of a beast to devour. That's literally the translation. translation. In other words, what's going to happen to the woman, the woman is going to desire the headship of the man. And then the man is going to rule over the woman. And so what you have here is you have two opposing opposite aggressiveness. And one is going to want to dominate the other, and the other one's going to dominate the other one. That's ba- and that's basically modern-day marriage that you have right now. And that's, that's, that's kind of basically what we see into this place. Right? The curse for the woman that he will rule over you, and the curse for the man is she will desire your headship. Uh, this, this is what happens. What had once, think about this, what had once been a natural outflowing of a special relationship will now need to be worked at. And like all other things, that effort could go astray. I mean, it could go astray in, in, a, in a really, really bad way. Now, rules and regulations were now needed to govern, protect, and nurture marriage. When you look at the, when you look at the Mosaic law, so God, God gave Moses 10 laws, and then, but there's, also, there's 613 laws inside the Mosaic. It's called the Mosaic Law. Uh, and this is, this is all, all through the, the, the first five books of the Bible. 613, most of those laws were dealing with governing relationships. And what God was trying to do is actually trying to preserve family. He was preserving the family unit because that's the, that's the, the, method, that's the unit that by which he's going to speak life into this world. It's going to be the mirror of his relationship uh, with God. And so, so we have the Mosaic Law. So now the law was needed, it was necessary to govern, to protect, and nurture family and marriage. And if you, and if you actually do a survey, compared to other legal codes of, their, of its time, during that time, uh, there's the, the Hammurabi Code, uh, the, the Rosh Shamra, the Ugaric Code that they have. Um, the Mosaic Law was actually... Uh, basically, which was largely concerned with divorce, its grounds and consequences, and family relations was by far the most fair and the most enlightened. Most people I know today read the Mosaic Law and say, oh my goodness, this is crazy. But compare the Mosaic Law to other moral codes of its day in other cultures, Canaanite cultures and other cultures, it was very fair and very enlightened. And because God was preserving marriage and family. And so he needed, he needed now rules needed to govern until this season, until Jesus comes into the picture and redeems all things to himself. So that's what happens in the fall. So creation, intimacy, openness, love, like, like everything Hollywood is talking about when they talk about love. That, that's, that's, that's God's intended purpose, but in a real sense. So turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. Say, hey, good looking. All right, go ahead. Hey, good looking. And just say love, intimacy, openness. Go ahead. Turn to your other neighbor and say, hey, good looking. Turn to blame and shame. Go ahead. We all love. All right, the last meta narrative redemption. We all love redemption. Matthew 5 17 says, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He says, I, he said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. This is 5 17. I did not come to abolish, I came to fulfill. I did come not to abolish, I came to fulfill. So if Christ is the fulfillment of the law, and the law was primarily concerned with marriage and family, of, of keeping those things together, then marriage also finds its fulfillment 
in Him. In Christ, God is working to bring creation back to its original intended state. That's what, we, that's what He means. Let your will be done on earth as it already has been done in heaven. Actually, if you, if you actually take the Lord's Prayer, it, it, it's, this, this is, this, oh, trust me, this is a better way to translate it. It's not your will be done you know, on earth as in heaven. It's, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it already has been done in heaven. And so what God wants, He wants His will that's been done to come down here to earth. That, that, that's what He means. He wants to re- redeem all things to Himself. And so He wants to transform uh, marriage. He wants to transform the world. And so these things now reflect God's plan uh, and, and what He has for it. So Paul, Paul picks up this theme in Ephesians chapter 5. I don't have to turn it, I'll just read it to you. In Ephesians chapter 5, as verse 21 to 25, he says, And be subject... To one another in the fear of Christ. So now Christ becomes a central character in marriage and in relationships. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of, this, of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So think about this. Now, I'll tell this story. So years ago, um, uh, when, you know, when we were just first planning our church, um, we, we used to have this epic Monopoly days. And so we, we, would, we would have a service, uh, an afternoon service on Sunday, and then we would go out to eat because uh, our, our church was really small during that time. It was like 25 people. And we would go to eat, and then we'd go to someone's house, and we'd play Monopoly all night long. And, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, like a professional Monopoly player. And so these, these guys, I mean, we had guys, we had guys that were like investment bankers, you know, guys doing like, actually one guy doing real estate investment, you know, for Carlisle. I mean, this, like, he was a big time hitter and stuff. And, and all these, you know, all these guys, and I was killing them. And they would get so frustrated because it's all about negotiation, right? I'm, I'm a master negotiator. And so, and so we played Monopoly, and so we're, we're, we had finished eating, and so some of the ladies came by, because, you know, we're, it was mostly guys were playing, but some of the ladies came by just to watch us play and things. And there was a group of ladies, like three ladies came that one time, and, and some of them, like, they went to really, like, liberal women's colleges, you know, Wellesley and Smith and all that stuff. So they, they, they were, like, they lean feminist, you know. I mean, I think they, they would probably say the same thing. And then one of them was really angry. You know, and so we're, we're playing Monopoly, and she goes, Pastor Sam. I said, what? He goes, why, you know, how does this work? Why does the Bible say that we need to submit to men? You know, I think this is ridiculous. And da, 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 da. You know, and I was like, oh, crap, man. I'm just trying to play Monopoly, you know? <laughs> and so, and, and I basically said, well, so I just, I, this is a spiel that I gave her that I'm giving you right now. I said, actually, the Bible doesn't actually say submit to men. The Bible actually says submit to your own husband. Right? So you're not supposed to submit to every man. You submit to your husband. And she goes, okay, okay. I like that. You know, that's, that's good. A good answer, right? And then, and then I, I just explained what Paul was saying. And, and, and this, this is simply what I say. The onus, see, because we, we have abused this verse. Headship is the headship of love. Headship is not rulership. That's where, that's where people get messed up. Just because you're in charge doesn't mean that you're the boss. Do you understand? Right? The reason why you're in charge is to serve. 
The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That's where, that's where power gets abused. I mean, that's basically how it works out. And so headship is a, servant, is a servanthood. And I, so this is, what I, this is what I tell our guys at our church. I said, if you want your wife to submit to you, in fact, the onus of your wife submitting to you is on you, buddy. In other words, you need to create an atmosphere in your home where your wife feels protected, where she feels loved, where she knows that you have her best interest at heart. And I said, I guarantee your wife will gladly submit to you. If you have to say to your wife, wife, submit to me, you just failed as a husband. <laughs> Seriously, you totally failed because you did not build an atmosphere. And I turned, to, I turned to these ladies and I said, listen, you know, this whole thing. Wouldn't you, I mean, wouldn't you like to submit to your husband who you know loves you, who cares for you, who would die for you? I mean, would that, would that be okay to submit to a husband like that? They're like, oh, yeah. They're like, yeah, yeah. Where, where are these men? <laughs> you, you, know, you know, sadly enough, we're still looking for these men. You know, I don't, I don't want to make all the guys feel bad, but we're still looking for these men. Where are the men in this world? Where are the men in the church? We just got a bunch of little boys, you know. It's, it's, it's a travesty. I, seriously, it's an absolute travesty that we're seeing in the church today. And so at our church, man, we're trying to build our men up like crazy. That's, that's one of our, our big mandates. Because cause, cause we see the immaturity that's out there. You know, churches are full of mature women and immature men. I don't know why that's the case, right? And so, I mean, guys, you got to step it up, man, right? I mean, quit playing your dang video games and, like, get off your butt and be a man. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I, honestly, like, it's just ridiculous, you know, the things that we're seeing these days. And, 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 but, but this is the, the onus. See, think about the curse. What Paul is doing, because Christ comes on the scene, because now Christ changes everything, because he redeems all things to himself. He fulfills the law. When Christ comes on the scene, subject, submit to one another. It's important. And so it's not just the wife submitting to the husband. It's the husband submitting to the wife. It's actually to one another. The submission, the reason why Paul says it that way, because the submission to one another is going to look different. Because it's the curse. What Paul is doing, he's reversing the curse. And so remember in the curse, the wife, right, you'll want to desire the headship. So he says, what you need to do, you need to submit to your husband. And so you think the opposite, headship. And he says, no, submit. Then he tells the husband, he says there, he doesn't have to use the word submit. Because the issue is, you rule over your wife, now love your wife. He's using biblical language, specific language towards husbands and wives that actually reverse the curse of Genesis 3. And that's his whole structure of of how that's happening. So now, wives, instead of wanting the rulership, submit to them. Submit to them. In that same way, husbands as well, before you, right, you were there and you you wanted to rule over your wife, now love your wife. That's how it works. Now, let let me take you on another nuance here. For the woman, you have no standard. (laughs) <laughs> you got the easy one. I know people think, oh, submit to my husband. Trust me, you got the easy one. There's no standard. All it says, just submit to your husband. Because he's the head of the household and da 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 that's it. 
You know what he tells the husband? Husband, love your wife. And let me give you the example. It's Jesus. And he died. <laughs> I mean, think about this, right? He says, husbands, right? Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You ladies have no standard. Just submit to your husband. How easy is that? Husbands, we got to die. <laughs> I mean, think about it. We got we to like, we got to be like Jesus. <laughs> he says, that's what, he, that's what the Bible says. We got to come and we love our wives like Christ loved the church and died for the church. Our standard is way up here. So you ladies, don't ever complain about submitting to your husbands, man. I'm seriously, don't ever complain about submitting to your husbands because we have it harder. We got to be like Jesus. We have to die for you guys. Jesus didn't ask you guys to die. He just said submit. You guys understand what I'm saying, right? It's, it's, I mean, I, listen, I know it's very hard to submit, okay? I, I, I mean, we're all human. We understand that. But it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's the standard. And honestly, I've still not met a woman on this planet that I've talked to. I'm sure there's out there. When, I, when they ask me this question, I pose it. Wouldn't you like a husband that loves you, that you know that has the best in, your best interest at heart, that whatever they do, they're not going to harm you, right, and you're going to be cared and protected? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to submit to a man like that? Everyone's like, yeah. Again, where are they, right? That's the next question that always comes, comes to mind. And it's true. You can ask my wife. Lisa, have I ever asked you to submit to me in 17 years of marriage? Never. You know, you know, and even even that whole thing, like you know, people say, "Oh, peace, Sam. How about how about if you guys are at an impasse and you're both making decisions, you know, and and God says this to you and God says this to somebody else, you know, what happens there? Does the husband, you know, trump this and that?" And I was like, "Well, honestly, we've been married 17. That's never happened in our relationship. That's that's one of those things because if we're honestly one, <laughs> there's unity there." Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I, I know those are like these kind of scenarios that people always give out. Honestly, for us, and we have a lot of friends, they've never gone through it either because they're one. They, they understand God's intended purpose for marriage. Now, I need to, to throw this aside too. Notice, I will give you a standard, ladies. Notice the Bible doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands if they're loving you. You know, it doesn't say submit to your husbands when they're nice to you. Notice this command is not conditional. Like, submit to your husband when you feel like it. It just says, wives, submit to your husband. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I, mean, I should say, go back. There is, is kind of a standard that's happening there. But that's what God does. He brings back openness and intimacy, and he reverses the curse. And, he, and the curse is reversed by you subjecting yourself to one another. But when you're doing that, you're actually loving yourself. That's what Paul is saying uh, throughout his, his letters on relationship and all kinds of things that happen. So let me just close with this. Marriage as a theme. In the Old Testament, God uses the husband-wife image to illustrate his own relationship with Israel. God is compassionate. He's a patient husband, even in times of great stress and provocation. His sacrificial love for his chosen bride has no limits and has no qualification. I mean, just read the book of Hosea to get an idea. 
The psalmist says in Psalm 86:15, "But thou, O Lord, art God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth." God's relationship with his people is often described in covenant terms. And these same terms are also used in marriage. God's covenant with Israel is itself described in marriage terms. So David Atkinson, this theologian, he points out the correlation between marriage and God's covenant. So think about, think about God's romance with you, okay? Number one, it starts with an initiation of love. There is none righteous, not one. No one does good. No one seeks after God. So God invites us into this relationship. Then there's an inviting of a response, leading to a creation of a relationship. Then there's a vow of consent. Then there's a guarding the union against fitfuls of emotions. And then the obligations of faithfulness. Then the promise of blessing to those which is, it's to their covenant obligations. And then sacrifice. What marriage is, it's mirroring our relationship with God. That's why it is so sacred. The parallels between marriage and covenant indicate that God intended marriage to be lifelong and exclusive. God's original design was that both members of marriage should be completed by the complementary relationship with the other. Being wholly committed to one another reflects God's commitment to his people. By definition, a covenant can never be broken. And so you are making a covenant with one another. I tell our, I tell our, our guys that are fighting, uh, they want to get divorced. I just look at them straight in the eye. You cannot divorce. Well, you can if you want to, but you cannot remarry. I tell them straight up, right? And it's, and, and it's amazing how people say, okay, I'm going to work at it. You know what we, we, we generally find? I'm just going to be very honest with you, okay? What we generally find is people that are having difficulties in their marriage, it, trust me, it can be solved, okay? It can be solved. Christ it, it can solve anything. But I find that usually there's another person involved. In other words, in other words, there's another person. Like it could be a real person or like an imagined person. But they're thinking the grass is greener on the other side. So there's either, either there's an actual person there that this person is thinking about, and that's why they want to leave this union and connect with this union, or they're thinking about this could happen, even though nothing's happening. You know what I mean? And so and I, I generally, I mean, honestly, in my experience, counseling married couples through all this, generally find there's always somebody else, either real or imagined. And real meaning there's not even a relationship happening. I'm not saying they're cheating on them or anything, but they're thinking I could be with this person. Or this person would make a better wife, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Generally, it works like that. And so what I do, I just cut that off right now. I said, don't even think about it, because you can't do it. I mean, as a follower of Christ, it just doesn't happen. Covenant cannot be broken. And it's amazing how they work at their marriage. It's, it's, it's crazy. They work at their marriage, and they get better. You know, in, in uh, uh, we, our church, we're celebrating our 16th anniversary uh, this coming, uh, actually, this, this coming weekend, next weekend, we're celebrating our 16, or we're celebrating our sweet 16. You know, in, six, in 16 years of our, of our church, our existence, and, and we, I mean, I don't know how many mar- weddings I've done. I don't know how many babies. I told you last time, right, we average a baby every two weeks at our church. And I tell you, we have one divorce in our whole church. That's a pretty good track record, I think. 
right? Because we teach on marriage. And we're, we're pretty, I mean, we try to be very biblical about this. One, only one, and I'm talking about like, people, I mean, divorcees come to our church, right? And, and they're welcome, you know, there's, there's no stigma. But I'm talking about like people that we actually married, you know, went through premarital counseling, which is actually the whole church. Everyone that's married our church, they came through PMC with my wife and I. And so we go through that whole process. Only one couple, actually, in that whole thing. Because it's amazing how when you speak truth into someone's life, they, you know, they follow truth, and man, their lives get reordered in that way. Now, we have a lot of couples struggling, for sure. I'm not saying everything's perfect. We have a lot of couples struggling, but it's amazing when you speak that truth, people come into line with God's truth because covenant cannot be broken. This is, this is how God works in his place. God revealed marriage as a mirror to his relationship to the church. His intended purpose for marriage is that we would walk in openness and intimacy. The fall and our sinful nature have marred his original plan, so now we must work diligently at this thing. But Jesus Christ came and restored all things to himself, including marriage. Now, because of Jesus, you can have a healthy, loving, trusting, intimate relationship with your spouse, and in essence, live heaven here on earth. We must simply follow God's pattern and his directives. Amen? On this, say a few words for single people, okay? Really simple. A few words. I, I added this on here on this marriage talk. Three, three simple ones. Number one, be holy. Be holy. The worst thing you can do in your marriage or in your dating life is to be sexually active. You know why? You make God an enemy of your relationship. Like, I, I, I've, I've single people come up to me, dating couples, you know, and we're talking. And I always ask them, I mean, I'm, I'm very upfront. You know, they say, hey, peace, Sam, we're dating. You know, they want to see the congratulations. I say, oh, that's great. Are you having sex? That's always my next word. Are you having sex with each other? Right? Are you keeping pure? Because, you know, as soon as you cross that line, you make God an enemy of your relationship. And I just tell people, you know, how, how ridiculous is it, man? That you're asking me to bless your relationship and you're violating your convictions. That's ridiculous. You know what I mean? I mean, you're making God an enemy of your, you want me to, you're asking me, and I'll, I'll pray for you and I'll ask God to bless you and stuff. But be holy. That's what he says. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. This is, this is uh, now every sin is the same level to God, but the effects on us are very different. You know, you know what I mean? Like, so, like someone lies to you is different from someone hitting you. You know what I mean? You know, or someone cheating on you or something like that. That has grave effects. To God, every sin is equal. So there's not one greater sin than another, but to us, the effects are different. We understand that, right? And so every other sin is done outside the body. But sexual immorality, you sin against your own body. And the enemy is all over this thing. So you need to guard yourself against sexual sin. The devil wants to rule you in this area of your life. you got to fight the good fight of faith in this. It's really important. Because you're basically sabotaging your own relationship as a result. It's, it's, it, trust me, it's the glory of God to walk in sexual purity. It is the absolute glory of God to walk in sexual purity. You know, and, and I'll say this, and if you're, if you're here and you're dating someone or, you know, or whatever and you violated, listen, 
It's not the end. It's, it's, it's not the end. You can ask God to forgive you. You can ask God, and, and I actually, I actually created a word. And uh, um, well, later I found out that it actually existed already, but <laughs> I thought I created it. You know, as I tell people, it says you can reverginate. Yeah, it's, it's true. You can reverginate. You can become a virgin again. And you can ask God, and then you keep your marriage bed pure until, you, uh, until your wedding night happens. And you can do that. You can make a commitment right now. You can say, God, I, I messed up. You know, I was, I was searching for intimacy, you know, that openness. And, and, you know, and sex provides that on a certain level. But outside of covenant, it kills us. In covenant, it gives us life. And so uh, that happens. And so you can ask God to forgive you. And then you can just from, say, from now on, I'm going to walk in purity. I'm going to walk in purity. Uh, pornography, same thing. I'm going to put that stuff away. I'm going to walk in purity. And it's so important how that works. Number two, so be holy. Number two, be bold. Be bold. See, God wants relationships in his church. Now, this, this, is, this is what I find very different about my generation and your generation, Okay. My generation, because, you know, I'm 51 years old now, right? My generation, we were bold, right? Like, like I would go out. I, I see someone, you know, hey, you want to go out with me? No? Okay. Yeah. Hey, how about you? <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe because social media or something and stuff, and it's like, you want to you go? No? Oh, my God. Oh, oh. It's, calm down, man. It's like. I, I, I don't know what the, this idea of rejection is so overwhelming these days. You know, and maybe, maybe because we grew up in a culture, like, where everyone got a medal. You know what I mean? And stuff. And so, like, you know, I mean, we, you know, when I grew up, only one guy got a medal. Only one guy got a trophy. So we worked our butt off to get that trophy, man. And, and, and I, I think it's the culture. Everyone gets one. And so we just made everyone mediocre, basically. And, and, and I, I think it's the culture of your time. I, I, I do. I think it's a travesty that happens. Now, I'm not talking about performance-oriented. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. But there's a very healthy way to go about things. And I, I find people so afraid of being rejected. Listen, if they say no, there's somebody else out there. You know what I mean? And so, I, I mean, I honestly, I hope that people are a lot bolder, especially guys. Be bold, right? I'm honestly, you like somebody? Let them know you like them. Not in a creepy way, you know. <laughs> right? Like, you know, have some EQ and some boundaries. But I mean, honestly, you like someone, just say, hey, you want, you want to go out to coffee? Now, with that said, ladies, if a guy asks you to coffee, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean he wants to marry you. Oh, yeah, that's a big one too. <gasps> oh, you know, no, he just, he just wants to get to know you. And like, how are you going to build a relationship without getting to know and if you don't give guys a chance? You know what I mean? And so it's just like it works both ways. The guys need to be bolder, and the ladies need to be more accommodating. I mean, you know, I know that's not very PC and stuff, but I'm telling you, this it's just the truth. Give guys a chance, right? I mean, some of them may be diamonds in the rough, man. You know? Thank you, Pastor Mina. One, <laughs> one, one clap. We know you're not talking about your husband. It's okay. You know, my wife married me. You know, I didn't have a job. I, I mean, I was unemployed. You know, I, I had nothing, basically. And stuff. And she just took a step of faith. 
Like I added no, I added no added value to her whatsoever. <laughs> I'm just being real. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, I'm the epitome of diamond in the rough, and things. And so it, it's it's it's. Well, I, just, I realized I just called myself a diamond. Uh, <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I meant. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, you know, come on. We know each other. We've been around together a bit. <laughs> but honestly, don't be afraid. Don't take rejection personally. Right? Honestly, I mean, just, just, you're not meant to like everybody. You, you know what I mean? And stuff. And so you just got to be just a little bit bolder. You know, and, and, I, and I just hope, I mean, I, honestly, I hope for this house that there will be such clear communication, you know. And if, and if, like, if a guy asks you for coffee and you don't want to go to coffee, just say, yeah, sorry. Just, I'm, I'm just not feeling it, you know. And, and listen, and don't ever use God as an excuse. Don't, you know, I hate this. Oh, God has me in another season of life. Just be real and say, I just don't like you right now. You know how refreshing that is? You know when you use God either to get together or to break up? I mean, think about it. You're breaking up with someone. You're basically saying, not only do I reject you, but God has also rejected you. <sighs> Devastating. Just be honest and say, you know what? It's just, we're just not connecting right now. I think you're a great person and things, and I'm going to pray that, that, you, that God would bring someone in your life that, that you really deserve. It's so easy. And then you could be friends at church. You know what I mean? It's like it's not a big deal. But we, we, make, we make it so difficult to date in church. Where else are you going to find out your husband and your wife but in the house of God? I met my wife in church. Right? Most, most of our married couples at our church met at church. Right? It's the best place to meet your spouse. I know a lot of you guys also met one another here at church in this house. That's such a blessing. That's what it should be done. You've got to be a little bit bolder. And the ladies, just be a little nicer. You know, maybe accommodating is not the best word. Maybe nice. Just be a little nicer to the guys in that way. And then last one, the simple, is just be honest. Just be honest. Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Be honest with one another. It's really a simple thing. And just, just like I said, hey, I'm just not feeling it. And it's okay, but, but I'm going to pray for you. And, and you deserve to be with a really special person. And we could all use more time that we get to spend together and get to know each other. Because you basically made a friend. And we could all use more friends. I don't know about you. I could always use more friends. And so, and, and you just keep it wholesome in, in that way. And you pretty much got it made. Amen? All right, let's close our eyes.